Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mmm. I've gone back to having my brevet latte. Hopefully I won't pay the price. So, today is Monday, May 10th. I realized um, long after Friday's episode that I never said what date it was or that it was Friday. I did not do my It's Friday call, but I don't think anyone even noticed or cared. Or if you did, you very politely didn't say so. So, um, welcome to a new week. I am um, rather astounded to discover, to discover, to have realized that the promised queen comes out two weeks from tomorrow. Um, you know, that's the thing about trad deadlines, especially if you've been doing a lot of self-pub stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's been so long since I worked on The Promised Queen that it kind of feels like, I don't know, like it's both been out forever and at the same time, um, was, let's say, been out forever and at the same time was never going to come out. Um, May 2021, May 25th, 2021 seemed like a date that would never arrive for a really long time. I know you all feel me. Pandemic. Right? So today's earrings, uh, we have these funky fun earrings that Kelly Robson, hi Kelly, brought me from China. Um, they're kind of cool. They're these rectangles. You could tell that they're a different shape and size than I normally wear, although they are nicely dangly. Um, a, a rectangle that has like a little padded, you could squish it, cloth with um, sort of a, what to me is a very Chinese design, of sort of a blue paisley. Get that to focus. Video camera's like, what are you doing to me? And then there's a row of silver bars hanging below seven silver bars. I've mentioned this before. Seven's a lucky number in Chinese. It means uh, partly regeneration of the self. Uh, replacing the body fully every seven years. So I was just trying to think of when my next seven birthday will be. It will be next year, not this year. So let's see. I've I made some notes. Um, I feel like I have lots of things that I want to talk about. I'm not sure all of them that I should, you know, for all that I go for the verisimilitude. I am. Um, it is very similitude, right? Uh, for all that I go for authenticity and I am a believer in authenticity. Uh, I do, um, I do feel like I have to be careful about some of the things I complain about. Um, and my rule is typically if I hesitate to post it online, then I don't, uh, that seems like a fairly good rule of thumb, except some things that I, I still wish I could say. I was talking with some people over the weekend uh, online. I, I, I made a joke at one point that I was feeling like my um, 
my theme lately has been that XKCD cartoon. I can link to it. I post it on my social media too, but you know, the where you can't come to bed because someone is wrong on the internet. Um, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of bad advice on the internet lately. You know, and it's interesting to me because I see it a lot from newbie authors. I see it from people who have not been in the industry very long. And I'm not quite sure what that is, except that there's, I mean, you don't know personalities on the internet, right? You don't really know what this person's like in real life. And there is always going to be that person um, that you run into who has to be the authority on everything, right? And the thing is, is that I see these people jump in on discussion forums that somebody will ask a question and someone will jump in and provide authoritative knowledge. And I'll go, I'll think, well, that's not a good advice. And then I'll go look the person up who provided the advice and they don't even know. Um, like I saw one person giving advice over the weekend who was an author whose very first self-published book is coming out soon. Which is great, you know, self-publish your first book. Uh, more power to you. Good luck to you. I've, I've actually, I've, you know, don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way because obviously I self-publish. But I think when you are giving people advice based on that, saying, well, this is why, you know, self-publishing is X, Y, Z, and this is what you have to do. It's like, I guess the best... The best take on this I can give is that when someone is offering advice on the internet, take a moment to see who who's giving the advice. Because if if all they're doing, if they haven't, if they don't have any of the street cred yet, if they haven't, if they don't have their own experience yet, then all they're doing is they are parroting what they've heard other people say. And you know, okay, so that can be useful to you know, say, well, I, I learned in this place that we could, you know, that this is a good idea. But, um, you know, when I see things like, well, for example, one thing I saw was, well, I decided to self-publish. These were reasons that I heard because somebody was asking, should I go trad or should I self-publish? And so I saw these reasons. Um, the usual, uh, be willing that traditional publishing, is completely screwed up and screws everybody over. Uh, this, these are the reasons. These are not what I think. Allow me to caveat. Um, the I'm too impatient to wait all that time for try publishing to make a decision about my my stories. Um, I don't want to have to share my royalties with someone else, uh, and I can make a lot more money self publishing. <clears throat> So let's, let's break that down. I'm going to end up spending the whole time talking about this, but that's okay. Uh, I have one thing I have to get to, but I actually have a note here saying giving advice to people who are wrong on the internet. <laughs> but fortunately, nobody on this podcast is wrong. Okay. Traditional publishing is forked. Uh, there are things that are not right about traditional publishing. There are ways that traditional publishing is lagging behind the market. To say that traditional publishing is completely screwed up 
is um, I feel not sure. Uh, traditional publishing still does a lot of stuff. And you could have uh, traditional publishing can do a lot for you as an author. Uh, they can help you build an author platform. They give you a legitimacy in the eyes of many bookstore distributors. Um, and among create a community for you among established authors who are traditionally published. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to have those things, but there is, there is an aspect to the self-publishing Kool-Aid that constantly emphasizes the, we don't need traditional publishing. We can do it without them, which is true. Uh, but at the same time, that does not mean that traditional publishing brings nothing of value to the table. It's, it's, that's a, a careless assumption. And, um, I think damaging, it's really damaging, uh, and, and you have to, again, consider the source because people who have been rejected by traditional publishing are often the ones who are the most excoriating about it. And it's like, well, you know, there, there, you have to take into account that there can be an element of sour grapes there. Now, there are plenty of authors who are self-publishing who have been in trad and decided that they wanted to go their own way and feel very strongly about it. Um, Yasmin Gallimnorn is, is one, uh, she's very happy to have extracted herself from trad and she has really good reasons for it. And see, that's the difference is that she has a lot of experience with both sides of the fence and she can tell you, uh, how, how it's worked for her. Uh, I have another friend who has done both trad and self-publishing and uh, she makes nowhere near as much money self-publishing as she does in trad. So it goes. Um, I know people who've done both. I, I saw Jennifer Armentrout being held up as an example of self-publishing and I'm sorry if somebody else publishes your book then you are not self-publishing. Um, just because it's the thousand and one dark nights group and they created an imprint from her, what they call it, like blue moon or something. Um, they're taking a percentage of her royalties and they publish the book for her. It doesn't count as self-publishing you guys. Uh, so when you're saying traditional publishing, you need to keep in mind that you're looking at a vast array of models. Uh, some parts of trad publishing aren't working. Some parts are. There are really nice things about having a team of people working with you on your book. Um, it is nice to get your book into Barnes and Noble. It will open doors for you that self-publishing does not. And I say that as someone who has done both. I'm not saying it's a better idea to try to publish. I'm just saying this, uh, position that some people take saying that it's uh, a foolish decision and you should never do it. Um, that that's clearly wrong. People wrong on the internet. Uh, second one, I'm too impatient. I'm too impatient for my stories. It's like, okay, well, the thing is about writing in general, writing and publishing is being impatient is not a good reason to do anything. Uh, novels take time to write. Uh, especially your first book, uh, revising and refining your novel takes a long time. I 
think that there are ways in which the slow speed of trad publishing, which as can be frustrating, reference back to the beginning with the Promised Queen just now coming out, um, it also forces you to to slow down and look at what you're doing in a story. Uh, why are you impatient? If you're impatient because you want to get rich quick, not a good idea. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I don't want to share my royalties with someone else. Okay. Uh, if you self-publish, you're still sharing your royalties with someone else. Unless you sell through your website store and you completely self-support your website store. Uh, and even then, you're still paying a fee to PayPal and Stripe and what have you. Uh, Amazon takes 65 to, <laughs> let's see, it's either a 70% cut or a 35% cut. So Amazon takes 30 to 65% of your royalties. Even if you're just on KU, Amazon is taking a lot more than that because they're just deciding how much of a fraction of a penny per page they're going to pay you. You are always sharing your royalties with someone else. And let me tell you, if you um, begrudge the 15% to your agent and the percentage to the publishing house and all the people who work for you, yeah, don't do it. But in life, we pay other people to handle tasks for us. And that's just part of it. Um, I think that's another part of the self-publishing Kool-Aid that can be really frustrating to me because you want um, this idea that it, it should be all yours is, is uncomfortable to me. It smacks of, well, it smacks of greed. And, and I think that there's a certain level of greed, which is appropriate uh, because we all uh, need to keep the lights on and pay our mortgages and so forth. But again, it's not a quick, quick, I just get so upset. I get inarticulate. It is not a get rich quick scheme. You're going to have to invest and investing in your career means that you are a source of a product. You are the source of this thing that you are creating, which is a miraculous thing and that you pay other people from it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just not a great reason. If, if you want to keep the, <laughs> you're, you're not going to get away with not sharing your royalties with anyone. I guess I'm belaboring that point. It's just a, it, it comes from this idea that agents and editors are parasites that are not earning the money. And I feel like that's a, again, it's kind of a sour grapes. It's like, oh, those bitches rejected me. Okay. Um, I know I had five points and I probably won't be able to remember what was number four. Cause the, the last one I think was, um, you know, I'll make more money self-publishing. And this is part of the self-publishing Kool-Aid that annoys me the most because there are, yes, self-publishers who are making a lot of money and they, they love to 
brag about how much money they're making. There is a lot of survivorship bias in here. <clears throat> survivorship bias is um, a well delineated phenomenon where we tend to pay attention to the survivors of a thing and not to the losers. So in other words, when you hear these stories about, okay, let's talk about romance author mastermind, which was a conference I enjoyed. I learned good things from it. I was inspired from it. All of the speakers at romance author mastermind got up there and talked about how they made a whole bunch of money writing. They talked about how they made more money than they did in trad. They talked about how they, you know, went from five figures to six figures and what they did go from six figures to seven figures. Um, a lot of really great speakers, right? It's fun. You know who didn't get up there and speak? All of those people for whom it did not work, right? Because you're not going to put a speaker up there who says, Oh, you know, I self-published my book and I sold a hundred copies and I'm still in the hole because I invested in a great cover and it didn't work. And so I've spent about, you know, a thousand dollars and I've made none of it back because who wants to listen to that speaker, right? That's survivorship bias. The loud voices in self-publishing are the ones who say, look at how great I am. Look how much money I made. Look how successful I am. The people who are not doing well are not going to go around shouting about it because I mean, why would you? And I mean, it's kind of embarrassing and people feel like a failure, which is really terrible, right? You know, cause it's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not making as much money as, ex author, you know, who's always talking about how he's making, you know, $100,000 a month. So I must suck. And that's not it. That's not the truth at all. There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is that it's not easy to make money as a self-publishing author, especially as a newbie author. And that is one thing about traditional publishing is if you do go through traditional publishing and they buy your book, then you start out in the black. They buy your book from you, or if they don't give you an advance, they're going to give you money as soon as it comes in. You know, and people are all worried about, oh, well, I'm sharing my royalties with someone. Yeah, but you're not having to pay anything. <laughs> you're not having to pay out to publish your book. Uh, and so you will make, you know, maybe you won't make tons of money on it. Maybe you won't make $100,000 a month, but you also won't necessarily be in the hole. So, so those are my rebuttals. Um, I just really caution you all. Uh, people like to repeat information and, you know, say, oh, you know, look how, look how shiny I am. Um, take a look and see how shiny they are. Um, yeah. All right. The other thing I want to talk about is um, I just wanted to send out uh, love into the universe, I guess, for Jan Sterling. Uh, Jan Sterling uh, was the wife of Steve Sterling, who writes as S.M. Sterling. He lived here in Santa Fe. I'm using past tense because she passed away. And I'm just very sorry for her loss. Uh, she was 
an older lady, I'm not sure of her age, uh, died of lung cancer. But, you know, she was, she would come with her husband to all of the writer events and she was wonderful. She came to the launch party for the Orchid Throne. She and Steve both came to my friend Mingit's house and she bought a copy of my book from Beastly Books and she read it and she told me how much she liked it. And it was just a really gracious thing for her to do. Um, and she did that, you know, she was just a, a kind and lovely person. And I haven't seen her since that party uh, because the pandemic happened. And yeah, so uh, she apparently went into hospice and was gone. So uh, it's a sad thing. So I wanted to take a moment to commemorate that. Sorry to end on a weepy note, you all. Uh, but you know, it's a contrast to the self-publishing rant. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to remind you all that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. And you will find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.